We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Thank you to our sponsor, Can Do You. Can Do You helps busy principals create the school culture they've always dreamed of through motivational speeches, engaging videos, and leadership camps that are packaged together for schools that want to see real change. Go to candoyou.us slash Jethro to schedule your call today. And if you sign up before the end of the summer, you'll receive a big, huge TV for your lobby to recognize all the amazing things that your students are doing every single day. That's candoyou, C-A-N-D-O, the letter U, dot U-S slash Jethro. Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am so excited to have Matt Shea on the phone. Matt is the Matt portion of the Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney podcast, which is one of my favorite new podcasts that I just recently discovered. And I think I share an episode almost every week with my staff about personalized learning. And so, Matt, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. It is so good to talk to you. Because the conversations that you and Courtney have on your podcast are 
really fantastic and inspiring. And can you just tell my listeners who may not have heard of you a little bit about your background and what you're doing right now? Sure. Again, our personalized learning with Matt and Courtney podcast we've been doing for about two years or so. Uh, I'm a district administrator uh, in a district in Maine. And I was a former high school math teacher, and I've been in education for about 10 or 11 years now. Uh, Courtney is an instructional coach in a district in Maine, and she works uh, with all kinds of teachers, uh, K to 12, not a specific subject area. And her focus is really on teaching good instruction to teachers and how they can support their, their learners, not specifically by subject, but we, our, our mantra is good teaching is good teaching. Uh, so a couple of years ago, we, we've been friends for a while. So we just decided to put a podcast together and we've had some fantastic fun with it. Just putting out little tips on things teachers can do, some principals can do, some districts can do. It's been a great time and I really appreciate you listening to it. And uh, uh, the more I do the podcasting stuff, I, I hear more and more podcasts uh, are really trying to, to help teachers uh, become better teachers and to make our education systems a little bit better than they have been in the past. Yeah. And, and that is certainly what so many other great podcasts are doing. And so this podcast is focused specifically for principals and yours is focused more towards teachers, though I get a ton out of it as a principal. And I know a lot of people will get a ton out of it, no matter what their role in education is, because you guys talk about universal themes, I would say, in education. It's called personalized learning, but you talk about so much more than personalized learning. And can you tell me why you chose personalized learning as the topic and uh, content? Well, one reason is we didn't want to necessarily do what we were doing in our districts and and have a, a promotion for our districts. Uh, although we're very proud of what we do in each of our districts, there's more to it than that because every, every district has a slightly different uh, culture base, has a different learner base, has a different part of the country that it could be in. And I, I've worked in Maine for for all of my life in education. But when I worked before education, I was up and down the East Coast, and and the, it's very different in Maine than it is anywhere else, uh, just demographically. So we wanted to to really do some of the the larger issues and things that it could apply to anybody. One reason is to be honest to to broaden our audience. Uh, we wanted to to get as many listeners as possible, trying to talk about what personalized learning could be. Uh, across the country and not necessarily just the things that I do in my district or Courtney does in her district. Uh, although we're very proud of them, they work for our districts. They may not work for yours. So we try to get at the, the bigger picture things that teachers can do no matter where you are. If you're in a district that is very traditional and isn't moving towards personalized learning at all, but you're a teacher who wants to, we provide some tips for that that you can do right in the classroom. If you have co-teachers, we could do that. If you're a school, you could do it this way. Uh, so we're really looking for things to apply to really anybody who's out there listening that wants to do something different because they know the old system really doesn't work. So that that was our main goal. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing to it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So, you know, the thing that I like about your podcast that that you guys talk about is, um, as you mentioned before, good teaching is good teaching. And it's easy when there's a district initiative or some sort of program that people are, that a district is saying, this is what we're doing. It, it's easy to get stuck in that mindset of this is the only way to do it. And 
you know, we could talk about co-teaching or standards-based grading or personalized learning or blended learning or whatever it is. There, there are so many different ways to skin a cat, as it were, that there's not really a a perfect way to do anything. How do you, as a leader, determine what it is that you're going to focus on when there are so many different ways to do things? Well, one of the ways that that we've decided in my particular district is I, I work in a district that has 10 schools in it in five different communities. And we were put together by Consolidation in Maine about seven or eight years ago. And we put four school districts into one larger school district. And we have about 2,200 kids in, in, in my particular district, but it's over 10 schools in five towns that don't really touch each other. So it's very forced. So when we started the district, I was, I was teaching, but then I transitioned to this district position and I wanted things to be the same in each school and really try to set up the same systems, the same workflows, uh, the same types of things that you do in all the schools. And it, it really wasn't working very well. So one of the things that we've kind of evolved to is we set up the core pieces of what we want. So we have, we have tenets of what we're doing in my district. We call it applied learning. And one of the tenets is uh, building a strong educational culture that puts a lot of the learning onto the students. Uh, so how do we how do we design that culture so there's that balance between students need to take charge of their own learning, yet teachers still need to provide a lot of opportunities? How do we do those things? That could be different in one of our schools than it is from one of the other schools. But if we're, we really have those core pieces that we work around, we let the, the buildings, so the, the principals and the teachers and the learners can really figure out what works for them in their own place. And that, that has been a lot more successful instead of trying to force one district attitude amongst, in our case, 10 schools. And I know there are some other districts out there with many, many, many more schools. But if you have those core pieces that you can build around, the, the principals and the teachers and the learners can really design what works for them. And we, we found a lot more success with that part than we would have if it's just, okay, these are the things you have to do. I'm the district administrator, so I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, that really doesn't work that well. And, and we don't make nearly as much progress as if we just say, these are the things we want you to do. Uh, these are the things you have to you have to go by and you figure out what the rest is and how can we support that. And my, my role has turned into more of a support role uh, across those tenants than it used to be when I thought of myself as just telling people, this is the district vision, this is how you're going to do it. That that really is not my role. And it's better for me, for one, because I, I don't feel that pressure of being the bad guy, uh, which you know a lot of district people have that. If you're, if you're a district person right now and you're listening, you're probably nodding your head that, yes, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. if, if I'm more of a support person around those tenants and what those particular schools and buildings can do, I feel a lot better. I think the schools feel a lot better that they have somebody to turn to when they run into trouble or they need uh, you know, some, some purchase that might help them or some training that might help them. That's more of my role and it feels a lot better for me and it works better for our schools. Yeah. You know, it, uh, that's a fascinating story of how your district was, was formed and really a, a, an interesting story behind that. And the idea of the district wanting everybody to be the same, I see all over the country. And sometimes that's really great. Other times it is 
it just isn't feasible. And when you've got communities that are so spread out, you have to recognize that they're different in a largely urban district. Like the first district I worked in, it had 90,000 students and they had a very systematic way of doing things. That was, that was great, but it wasn't, it wasn't everything, you know? And, right. and as, as I've gone through my professional career, I see more and more districts moving towards this support role instead of a accountability role, which I think is, is really powerful. Now, when it comes to that idea of, of giving people that autonomy, how do you ensure that they're actually focusing on the right things? And what do you do when they start going down the path where they're, they may think that this is what's best for their community, but they're mistaken or does that happen? What's your experience with that? Yeah, well, it is a, it is a thing where we have to really stay on top of what's happening in the schools. Uh, you know, just because we have uh, the core things that, that we believe in doesn't mean it always happens. So in our administrative meetings uh, with myself and the superintendent and the principals, whether those are one-on-one -on -one conversations with each particular principal or there are larger district admin meetings, uh, we talk about the tenants a lot and we talk about uh, what they mean and ways that they are being supported in the schools. And, and it's a lot of, of sharing to see what, what's happening. And the, our administrators are, are friendly enough that they can give each other advice, which is, is very nice to see. Yeah, but when we, have, when we have those one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, with the principals, we can really dig a little bit deeper and, and figure out, okay, is this working? Where's the proof? Uh, if it's not working, here are some suggestions. What do your teachers think? What do your learners think? Uh, so we really involve not just the principals but and not just the teachers, but one of the key parts for us is involving the learners. Uh, so we do different surveys. We go into the classrooms. Uh, we bring them to the district office sometime to talk about what's happening. Uh, so we really get a good idea of, of what is actually happening and are we moving our vision forward? And that that's really one of one of the keys. We, we have one vision statement, but we have all those tenants underneath. And our vision statement is cultivating hope in all learners. Cool. And it's fantastic. I think it's it's one of the ones that that, you know, we used to have vision statements that sound like, you know, we want to be a better system and we want all kids to learn. It's like, well, of, of course we do. But how do we actually do that? So putting a different spin on it, like cultivating hope in all learners, that really makes you think for a second, okay, what does that mean? And how do those tenants align to that? And how do we know we're moving forward? And those are the conversations we have all the time. So whether it's one of our high schools is doing one thing and one of our high schools is doing something else, that's okay as long as they're moving forward in cultivating hope in all learners. It's, yeah. it's been one of the keys for us. Man, I love that. I love the mission statements that you can you can say quickly, that you can memorize, that it's not like this, you know, huge 20-word sentence. It's right. you know, cultivating hope in all learners. That is succinct. I like that. What are the tenets below cultivating hope in all learners? Well, uh, one of them is, is again, it talks about culture. Culture is really the, the number one thing uh, for me and for Courtney and for all of our teachers. Uh, now it's designing a culture that involves the learners uh, in their learning. And it's not just about taking tests. Uh, it's about providing evidence towards learning targets. So we have uh, progressions of learning. Uh, we don't really have grade levels, as it were, anymore. We, we still talk about social grade levels but we don't talk about academic grade levels because it really doesn't mean anything. If you're a fourth grader, 
for instance, does that mean that you're working on your fourth grade targets, as it were, you know, what you need to know in fourth grade? Well, some kids are, some kids are a little bit behind that, and some kids are a little bit ahead of that. So how about we just place them on an academic progression where they are and try to move them forward? So if I'm a fourth grader and I'm working on some particular targets, we could potentially have some third graders in that classroom. We could potentially have some fifth graders in that classroom. Uh, it could go a little further sometimes, but we try to group and regroup these kids where they are so they're always being challenged. And that that's one of our, our key tenets is continuous flexible grouping. But that is probably the hardest one to actually do when you have uh, school buildings and schedules and you've got kids moving in a million different places. How we place them academically to do that continuous flexible grouping is the one of the biggest worries of our district, I think, that we don't know really how to do it. So we try different things. You were, you were saying before about districts trying to do things all in a systemic way. And I think that's one of the ways we've tried to do schedules before. So we can organize, you know, 500 kids, 1,000 kids all at the same time. But the people who get in the way of that are really the adults, not the kids. Exactly. Man, yeah. you are so right. <laughs> it's, you know, I, we always say whenever we do trainings and we do a lot of trainings, not just for our district, but for, for other districts around here, that we're the problem. We're the ones that have all the issues. It's not the kids because if you if I told tomorrow to kids in any one of our schools from the pre-K kids up to the seniors in high school that their schedule was changing, that they would be doing this instead of what they did this yesterday, kids would be like, oh, okay, and they'd go do it and it would be fine. And the adults are freaking out because their lunch may be five minutes different than it was before. So the, the problem is us. It's not them. So why don't we get out of their way and we let them learn the best way that they know how? Yeah, man, you you are so right. And it's <laughs> it's funny how I always run into that. Like kids, you know, if we do something different with kids, they're like, okay, we're doing something different. If we do something different with adults, they're like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me <laughs> that I only have uh, 30 minutes for lunch and it is an hour later? Or 30 minutes later than it was. No, 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 no. That's just not going to work. And kids exactly. are like, oh, today we don't have lunch until two o'clock. Okay. I guess I'll be hungry, but let's move on. You know, like right. they don't even care. No, they don't. How do you get the adults to loosen up a little bit? I don't know if that's the right word, but how do you get the adults to be more like kids? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's one of the great questions, and uh, again, it comes back to to culture and about what what are we really doing in school? That what what's our ultimate goal, right? So, our ultimate goal in a system wide system like like a district would be that when they graduate, we want them to be successful citizens, we want them to be competent problem solvers, we want them to be good communicators, that sort of thing. In Maine, we call those the guiding principles. So whenever we talk to, to parents who have kids that are leaving, that's what they talk about. They, they don't really care if their kids know about photosynthesis or the causes of World War I. You know, that's important, but it's not really that important. Like long term, kids can look that stuff up. And if they're problem solvers and good communicators and good citizens, they'll know where to find that information when they need it. 
So for us, the, the content is really is a way to get at those guiding principles. So if we can talk about that as a system, so when we have the incoming kindergartners and we meet with their parents and we talk about cultivating hope in, in their particular learners and what our goals are as a system, it's a lot easier to talk to parents because that's, that's what they want. So if we can talk to parents like that and they understand that it's, it's 13 years in our system and they're going to learn a lot of content, but the goal is to become better human beings when they're 18, 19, 20 years old and they leave us, then that's a pretty good goal. And if they can understand that, we can talk to our teachers about that. So it's not like the pressure of Friday test day where everybody takes a test and you do your math 20 problems and you know you that's going to determine where you are for the week and you get negative grades and you know we don't we don't really have grades anymore as it were we we provide evidence towards learning targets and if you don't have evidence towards a learning target well you're going to so it's it's you know you don't really fail you just are where you are so a lot of the things we've set up really take away a lot of those negative aspects of school as as it was traditionally based because we feel that it's not just about the 80% of our kids that are going to do well no matter what, uh, the 80% of our kids that are going to graduate and move on. Uh, what about all of those missing kids that kind of fell through the cracks in a traditional system? We want to get every kid to reach their potential while they're with us so when they leave us, they will have they will be successful in whatever they do, whether it's college or whether it's a job or whether they go into the military or whether they're just trying to figure out what they're going to do. And I personally have that situation uh, right now. My, my two kids have just graduated high school. One was top of her class, a junior in college right now doing wonderful. And the other one just graduated high school and she has no idea what she wants to do. And that's OK, too. Because it's not like she's muddling through at home doing nothing. You know, she's got a job. She's got friends. She's got a support system. And when she's ready to take that next step, she'll be ready for it. And we need to provide for all of those kids, not just for the ones who are going to college uh, and about being college and career ready. I think that's the one of the most overused statements ever. I think we just need to prepare them for whatever is next and to, to really work on those guiding principles, those soft skills, those 21st century skills, what, whatever you, you, you want to call them, that's what we need to prepare them the most for. And the content is a way to get at those things. And our teachers are, have really started to figure that out because if they're taking that, that one first step that that's, that's an okay thing, if I teach those soft skills, they're seeing those kids be successful in their schools and they're willing to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And that's that's when they start redesigning their schools. And that's it's a tough process, but it's about talking with it the most you possibly can with your teachers, with your parents, with your learners about what what we're trying to do, what the, what is the point of school. And it's not an overnight thing. And that's I always thought we could do this in a couple of years. And boy, was I mistaken. <laughs> yeah. But it's an ongoing process, but never stop talking about it. That's the best advice that, that we can give. I've got so many thoughts. I just want to address a couple of things real quick. Number sure. one, you talked about they'll find that information when they need it. And I interviewed uh, Seth Godin a while ago for this podcast. And that was his guiding message is if you teach the kids the correct skills, they'll be able to get whatever they need 
when they need it later. Absolutely. And that that is so true. And and yet our system is designed to not allow that. Our system is designed so that the teacher is the one who has all the information. And that's the only place that kids can go to get their information. That is just so wrong on so many levels. We just can't do that to our kids anymore. Agreed. The second thing is I did a podcast a while ago where I went on a little rant about ending college and career readiness and that we just need to stop talking about that. We adults talk like we know what's actually coming when we have no idea. <laughs> like, How in the world can we prepare kids for jobs that we can't even fathom? Meanwhile, we're like struggling to figure out how to use our iPhone correctly. Like there's, yes. there's just no way that we should even be talking about that. We just need them to give them the best skills we possibly can to figure out how to work in the future. And like, that's, that's all there is to it. But that's really difficult for adults to hear and understand because we think we have all the answers and we just don't. Well, I had this, I have this uh, kid that I know, uh, speaking of jobs that I don't even know existed. He's a kid who really was one of those kids who couldn't figure out what he wanted to do after high school. So he's been struggling a little bit with with you know finding jobs that work for him, but he's found one that he makes a ton of money on in the last few months. And what he does is teach other people from around the country, around the world, I'm guessing, on how to play video games better. And Crazy. I'm like, <laughs> well, when I was 16, it's like, wow, that'd be an awesome job playing, you know, my little Nintendo Super Mario. That would be great, but that's not a real job, right? And you ask really any teacher around right now is teaching kids how to play video games. Is that really a thing? And the answer is yes, it's a thing. How does this happen? Yeah, But I right. would, I would never get, how do you prepare kids for that? You, you really can't. But as you said, you can provide them with the skills on finding those different things out for themselves and then they can be successful. And that's, a, that's one of the weirdest jobs I've ever heard, but it's a thing. It really is a thing. And the amazing thing is that, there are like you can't just go into a game and boringly narrate this is what's happening and expect <laughs> kids to like follow along and want to learn more about it like there are so many videos on video games that it is just it's crazy i can't even believe it and yet people spend tons of time doing this they have like multi-hour long videos that have hundreds of thousands or millions of views and it's like those people could actually be making very real money from that. And obviously they are, but just anybody can pick that up and start doing it. But if you're no good at communicating, then you're not going to be very good at doing that. And, and that's the skill we need to be teaching is how do you communicate? How do you tell a compelling story? How do you speak with enthusiasm and expertise rather than just, okay, so now I'm going to pick this up and walk over here. And that, that does matter. And we as adults have a really hard time seeing that. Well, you know, I think part of one of the the problems that, that we have is a lot of, this might sound a little harsh at the beginning, but it's, it's really not. A lot of teachers have only been teachers. So when we talk about, uh, you know, you can't do that sort of thing in the real world, how do they know? Before I was an educator, I was like a retail store manager and I worked up and down the East Coast a little bit. So I, I kind of saw what was out there, but that's not real world. And my real world could be very different from any of my learners' real world. And it's 2018 now. And the real world is something that I don't, I know my little bubble 
of the world with with my family and my work, but the real world that's out there, we need to prepare them for anything. So anytime we use you know, this, is, this, you're not going to need that in the real world, or you're definitely going to need to know about you know quadratic expressions in the real world. Uh, I'm here to tell you that some some will and most won't. But we, I want to provide you the skills to be able to find out that information when you leave us. And that's, that's really one of the keys for us. We don't know what's going to happen to any of these kids in 10 years. You know, they, there's so many jobs out there. If you look at any of the, the futurist panels or some of the pamphlets, there are jobs in there that I, I would not have even guessed that were jobs. Uh, like this teaching other kids how to play video games. That, how, do, how do I know? So I can't prepare them for anything particular until they actually know what they want. And I don't know if we can do that in a K-12 system. You might be able to when they're, when they're 20, 21, 22, a little bit older than that. They kind of figure it out. But, you know, I've got three kids in college right now, and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. They're, they're majoring in things, and, and they, they think they know what they want. But until they actually start doing it, they, they may not. You know, you go through and get a degree and uh, one of one of my daughters is a is a biology major and she wants to be a doctor, but she kind of panics about it sometimes like, oh, my God, what if I don't want to be a doctor when I find this out? What, what am I going to do after that? And I, I just want to prepare these kids for anything that's out there. Nothing specific necessarily, but provide them with the skills and the attitudes that they can do whatever they feel like doing. And here's how I'm going to do it. That was a bit of a rant right there. Hey, I, I appreciate the rant. I like to get into those every once in a while. Also. <laughs> but that provide the kids with the skills and the attitudes to be successful. Really, that's that's what it comes down to. So I just appreciate talking to you. I think you and I can probably talk for, you know, at least seven hours without any issue because um, <laughs> we're just barely scratching the surface. But the last question that I ask everybody on the podcast is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week? to be a transformative leader like you? Well, I think one of the things, again, I'm going to come back to again, I've said it three, four times today. We say it on, on my podcast all the time. It's about designing a culture in your building that it's okay to fail, that we get the most learning from failing, but failing in a positive way. What I mean by that is, is turning a culture of, of getting an A or getting a B, getting a 95, turning that into gathering evidence towards particular learning targets and being able to set goals and talk to your teachers. If you're a learner, talk to your teachers, talk to your principal, talk to your parents about, okay, this week I didn't do so well, but next week, this is my goal that I'm going to provide three pieces of evidence towards this target, for instance. So it's really about setting up a culture that, uh, you can talk with your teachers and talk with your parents and talk with your learners about about failing upward, as it were. But it's really about about taking away some of the negative aspects of what school is. And that goes from detention. Uh, that goes from failing grades. That goes to anything where you're kind of sorting kids into ways that they shouldn't. We need to take those things away so we reach all of our kids, not just the good kids, as it were, uh, we need to reach a hundred percent of them. And if we miss one kid, then we're not doing our job. And I think, I think we can change that tomorrow in any building that we want to. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I was a uh, part of a policy review committee for my district and the grading piece. We are so far away from the ideal that you're talking about. It said in the title, it says evaluation of instruction 
elementary grading. And I paused and thought about that for a minute and thought, how powerful is that, that we are actually saying that grading is an evaluation of instruction, not an evaluation of the student. So when a teacher gives a student a failing grade, the teacher is by our own definition saying that they are the ones who failed, not the student. And so anytime you give an F, you're saying my instruction failed to teach you effectively. And that like, at least that aspect of recognizing that is incredibly powerful, that it's not about failing kids. It's about us as teachers failing to meet their needs. And, and I think that is really powerful. That is not what I think they intended or, or right. what they believe. <laughs> However, that's how I saw it. And that's how I will see it going forward until we change that grading system to be something much more meaningful for kids. So Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. How do people connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah. So our podcast again is called Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. Uh, Courtney is usually with me. So you can follow us on Twitter at PLearnMC. Uh, We also have a Facebook page, uh, PLearnMC, and an Instagram page. I think you get the hint now. It's PLearnMC. Oh, I am sensing a pattern. Well, Matt, thank you so much again. It's been great talking with you. And for those of you listening, you can go uh, see the full show notes and get links to the other uh, interviews that I talked about on here at transformativeprinciple.org. And thank you so much, Matt, for being part of it today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.